Good morning. Just right off the bat, I'm going to ask you all to pray for me as I preach. You may notice that I sound particularly sultry um, this morning. <laughs> I apparently have allergies now, and they have decided to wreak havoc. So um, I'm claritined up. Um, but I sound like this, and, and I have water, and we're going to pray that I don't burst into a coughing fit in the middle of this sermon. So amen. So as Pastor David said, we are, um, we're wrapping up our sermon series, looking at what it means for us to be a community of caretakers. I think rightly so. The focus this morning is on caretaking um, in a way that benefits our neighbors. So as I was thinking about this the sermon and, and preparing for it, a couple things happened. First, as soon as I looked, you know, I checked the little spreadsheet to see what am I preaching on this Sunday? And the very first thing that popped into my mind was a very strong um, sort of remembrance of a story from my own community, my, the neighborhood that I live in that's right up the street from here, this direction, and a story of one of my neighbors. And then a verse came to mind that I did not want to preach on, but Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Uh, and this is, we'll, we'll read it together in a little bit, but this is a passage that um, if you've been coming to our church for a while, it'll be familiar. I think it was our, um, our quartet passage a couple years ago. But it's where the prophet Jeremiah comes to the people who are now exiled in Babylon and tells them, <laughs> I know some folk have been telling you all that this is going to be short-lived. Nah, go ahead and settle in. You're going to be here for a while, right? Um, and so we'll look at that. But I didn't want to preach on that text because I have preached on that text <laughs> many times before. I have Bible studies and uh, lesson outlines that span over a decade. Many of those uh, preached in this very church. But I could not shake it. The story of my neighbor and that passage would not go away because the story that I'm going to share with you this morning is a perfect picture of what it looks like when people quite literally marry, have kids, build gardens, and live in such a way that benefits generations that will come after and so this will be a, a, a slightly unconventional sermon. It'll be a, an extended testimony um, of a person who, who I admire um, and, a, and of a family that has been very impactful to my own family. Because, again, these are people who understood the assignment. Uh, and they have lived this out in this space. I've shared before that the Holy Spirit will always confirm God's word to me when I'm going to preach either through prayer or through worship. Um, and this morning, as Pastor David just prayed for me, I got that confirmation. The, the, the ground that we walk on is better because of this family, because of this man. And so it's a story that I'm excited to share with you. Before I do, though, I, I will say, just in full transparency, you know, we're all formed in ways we have our, our worldviews, and there's, there's ways that we um, see things. My filter is that I fundamentally believe that anything and everything that happens that is good in my life, even the stuff that happens that is bad in my life, that is always for someone else, that my life is not just for me, it's for the other. I fundamentally am convinced of the fact that that is just true of all of us. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. And so when we think about being caretakers, when we think about whatever building it is that the Lord would walk us into, it is just, 
it's impossible for me to imagine it being just for us. It is necessarily because of who God is and the way God moves in this world through us. It is always for the good of others, the good of us for our good and for the good of others and for the glory of God. And so I hope that you see that very clearly this morning. That has been the way that I think we as a church have moved. Um, So this language about caretaking, it is our posture. It has been the way that we have held the gifts that God has given us. It has been the way that we have held the calling that God has had for us as a church. It's not just for us. It's not just for us to get big, to grow. and It's for the good of the place that God has called us to the people that God has called us to. So the title of my sermon this morning is A Lasting Impact. And our text is Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, because I'm obedient. (laughs) But I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to do, we've done this in the past. We used to read out loud together. I think we stopped that because it's better in um, theory than it is often in practice. But we're going to do it again today because I'm feeling nostalgic. So if you have um, a digital Bible that you can, you know, switch the translations, I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. If you don't have an NIV Bible, it's okay. It'll just be a beautiful sound unto the Lord. So um, beginning with verse four, we will all read together. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can have a seat. So um, my husband uh, and I, and along with our my mom and my two, yeah, one of them made it to church. Amen. Um, and, our, <laughs> and our two daughters, um, we moved into this particular neighborhood about nine years ago. We've done the math. I'm like, wow, it's already been nine years. But years ago, I think we had only been living over here for maybe a month, maybe two months. Um, we were visiting with some neighbors who live about a block away. And we were having a conversation. We're in their yard. And this family has lived in the community for many, many years. At that time, they had already been there for over a decade. They came when the neighborhood was not, it's a beautiful, (laughs) splendid thing today, right? When they moved here, he shared this story, that the realtor refused to show them anything north of 47th Street. They had to, they kept, you know, they're going around, they're looking at all these properties. They wouldn't, realtor would not go north of 47. So eventually they had to insist that they be shown properties in this area. And then they had to beg (laughs) the realtor. Once they found this property, they had to beg the realtor to actually put in an offer because the realtor was like, you can't possibly want to live there. You should not want to live there. So 
were having a conversation in, in, in their yard. And when they came in, they were moving in when the crack cocaine epidemic and all of the stuff that comes along with that, it was still very much, the damage of that was still very, very evident in our neighborhood. So as we're talking, um, and he's, you know, sort of pointing out different houses um, on the, you know, between his block and the, just in the area that were like dilapidated, different areas where there are houses that used to be just vacant and abandoned lots. He's pointing this out and he said something that struck me and has stood with me for, I think about this probably more than I should, but I think about this often. So he's doing this and he looks at me, he's like, but you know, your, your block has always been pretty nice. Actually, even then it was pretty nice. I live, like I said, a couple blocks away on Ellis. I live on the 44th block of Ellis. And if you have ever driven down Ellis, more than likely, when you got to about the 44th block, you probably noticed it. Now, I'm not saying this, what I'm about to say will sound very boastful. I am not boasting because I didn't do nothing about, have nothing to do with this block. (laughs) But... Um, I remember even myself a years ago when I drove by, I got there and I'm like something, it, it stood out. I noticed it in a good way. Over the years, I've noticed as cars drive by, they will slow down when they get to our block and they kind of will stare and look. I've, it annoyed me to great, <laughs> to, to annoy me greatly more than it should have, but people will pass by and they'll just sort of stare and look. And I'm like, what are you looking at? But you feel something different when you get to this block. It's, it's palpable. I feel it every time I pull up. I have moments where I'll drive past our block and I'm like, oh, this is a nice block. Your block has always been pretty nice, even back then. Let me tell you what I know about blocks and communities that have been disinvested and that have experienced the riddles of our war on drugs and crack cocaine. They do not remain pretty nice, actually, on their own. They don't just so happen to have always been pretty nice. He could say that about my block, and I can feel that about my block, even before it was my block, because there were men and women who lived on that block who understood the assignment. So the story I want to tell you about today is my neighbor um, who has passed away, but Mr. Burrell. In a book that was written um, years ago by Mary Patillo, it's called Black on the Block, and I highly encourage you to read it if you want to. It's actually about this area. But she talks about the first black families that moved into this area. And she says that those families that moved in, they actually um, had higher incomes, and were on the whole better educated than their white counterparts. So Mr. Burrell was one of those families. He and his wife moved in, I think in the, okay, so this is when I'm not a historian, and my neighbor has moved, so I couldn't verify the dates, but I'm pretty sure she said (laughs) that they moved in in the 50s, he and his wife, and they moved into this area, again, one of the first black families on that particular block, and they settled in. And... If you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, you've probably heard about um, what happened when first black families moved into particular areas. They didn't stay the first black family for long, and those areas didn't stay only, uh, you know, a handful of black people for very long. 
So soon after he moved in and other folks started to move in, the neighborhood experienced white flight where the white residents said, oh, no, 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 our property values will go down if these black people move here. We must move. And there were all kinds of factors that contributed to that fear that they had. Realtors and redlining, the people who would say to them, your property values are going to go down. You need to get out while you still can. Did you know your neighbor down the street, they're already thinking about selling? So uh, over time, the neighborhood succumbed to, um, or succumbed, succumbed to black to white flight. So those families that moved in, those families who were the epitome of people who had found some bootstraps, pulled themselves up by it, and had moved in with the hopes of trying to parlay their hard work into their piece of the American dream, they soon found their neighborhoods overpopulated and disinvested. All of a sudden, they found their neighborhoods overrun by people who were addicted to a drug that was highly addictive, and to people who were being targeted by a war on that drug that was highly addictive. We don't treat heroin that way today, do we? I'm sure that some of those families said, we cannot stay here. This place is no longer safe. But Mr. Burrell was not one of those people. He had moved into a place and while it started to feel like what must have felt like exile, he and his family, his young children, his growing family decided we will settle in. We will plant gardens. We will pray for this area to prosper because if it prospers, we too will prosper. In her book, uh, she talks about different neighborhood associations that were working really, really hard to, well, some working against housing, but others working to bring housing. And just the ways that people were fighting to preserve the goodness and the value of this, of this neighborhood and recognizing what the history and the richness of the soil that we walked upon. Mr. Burrell was probably a part of those organizations as well, but he took a different approach. As gangs started to come in and infiltrate the community, Mr. Burrell's approach was, you come over here if you want to. Now, let me tell you, if someone ever says to you, come over here if you want to, I assure you, you don't want to. <laughs> come over here if you want to. And he and others with him actively protected and guarded that block. He actively protected and guarded in many ways, some of which probably are not appropriate to share on a, in, in a sermon that's being recorded. Um, but he actively protected that block. They were vigilant. They would do vigils. They would watch out for folk who were, who looked like they might be up to no good. They had a physical presence that said to people, this space no, <laughs> come over here if you want to. And so as the neighborhood started to fall, as homes that he would have seen be beautiful places where families moved into and had wonderful dreams about starting their lives and having them be their forever home, as he was watching those homes become crack houses, those homes be abandoned and become um, overrun by slumlords, right? As he's watching things fall apart, his commitment to being able to protect the space that he was in was firmed up and solid. Mr. Burrell was a man of God. 
And he was raising godly children who understood the importance of putting action to their faith. And so he lived in such a way that in the worst, in the times where the worst that they would ever be, there was something about that block. It always remained pretty nice. And I imagine that even as other places on the street were falling apart, the work that they were doing there is probably the reason why, as bad as it may have looked, the neighbor that I was talking to felt like it wasn't so bad that they couldn't move over there and weather some storms. So this sermon series is about caretaking for the good of your neighbors. When my family moved into the home, Miss Joy Burrell, Mr. Burrell's oldest daughter, youngest daughter, only, only daughter, his child, <laughs> she's one of the first people that we met. She came to our house um, to welcome us to the neighborhood. I think we had been in there for maybe a week. We, stuff, there were boxes still in the house. She came to welcome us to the neighborhood and invite us to the block club meeting that was happening like that night. She was on her way to the block club meeting and she's like, y'all might want to come to the block club meeting too, right? She ended up coming in and talking and nobody went to the block club meeting. She came in. I don't know if the block club meeting started at four. She left my house at 7.30. I will never forget it because at one point in time, I'm like, well, I'm about to cook dinner. (laughs) But she came and she sat and she talked. And as much as I was confused by why this conversation lasted so long, she became somebody who um, I loved so much. She came and she talked and she came back the next day. And then I would see her outside with the kids and she invited my kids to come over and play in the yard. And she would talk to them about the different plants that were in her yard. Now, some of you may know in my house, if you come, you'll see lots of plants, right? I've become a plant mom. If you come to my house in the summertime or if you drive by, you'll see, well, don't drive by now. It looks a hot mess. But On good days, you'll see a well-kept yard and you'll see flowers. And if you come into the backyard, you'll see that I have a garden. Let me tell you, I was somebody who killed everything that I touched. I could not keep a cactus alive prior to Miss Joy. But Miss Joy would come and she would talk to my kids about the plants. And she would talk to me and she said, you know, you ought to plant a garden. Because the kids will really benefit from that. They love plants, Michelle. You should plant, you know, tomatoes are an easy thing. Start with that. And so I took the hint. I said, all right, Miss Joy, I'm going to plant a garden. (laughs) And I did. And I learned. And she came over and she helped me tend the garden. She helped my kids grow an appreciation about garden. At least one of my kids has held on to that. The other one, that's okay. But she likes to eat the things that come from the garden. But Miss Joy would come and share stories about our neighborhood because she grew up there. And this was her soil. It was the soil that nurtured her. And as we were coming in, she wanted to welcome us and invite us into that story. I am a different person because I met Miss Joy. If you drive by my house on a good day, don't do it today. Don't do it today. But on a good day, if you drive by my house, you would have an impression about the kind of people who live there. We are those kind of people because we met Miss Joy and because we learned the stories about Mr. Burrell. And we got to sit and talk with him and hear the appreciation that he has for this soil, for this place, for this land. My kids are different kind of kids than they would be if they had just been raised by me and my I can't keep a cactus alive self. Because of the work, because of the faithfulness, because of the way that Mr. Burrell 
And Miss Joy took care of the place that they were blessed to be in. And you do feel it when you walk on my block. And you see it. Over the years, many people have moved in. Some folk have sold their homes. Other folk have come in. And when we have conversations with new folk who come, one, we have conversations with new folk who come. Let me tell you who I am not. <laughs> I am not someone who is going to think on my own accord to go knock on somebody's door to welcome them to a community. I want you to be welcome. I may be glad you're here. It is not going to occur to me to do something like that. It would not have occurred to me to do something like that if I had not met a Miss Joy. And because of the way that they have lived, that's a way now that we feel we ought to be neighborly to the people who come. You need to know the story of the soil that you are walking on. Early on, there was a family that moved into a home. And my husband, um, partly because of who he is and partly because of the, the community that we were welcomed into, he went online and he printed out the whole history of the house that these people had moved into. And he wrote it up. He put it together all nice. And we walked over. We we're like, do we have anything to give otherwise? I think we maybe we had a bottle of wine. And we left it on their doorstep. Because we wanted them to know where they were. We wanted them to know the legacy that they were inheriting. Because there were people like Mr. Burrell who said, this is my soil. <laughs> I understand the assignment. I'm not going to pick up and run. I'm not going to go and seek something that might be easier, that might be, but nope, this is where I am called, and I am called to make it better for the people who are here now and for the people who will come after me. And he has. There aren't books written about Mr. Burrell, and even in the book that I'm referencing, he is a person that I know is a part of that story, but his name is not named. But that life, his legacy the way he raised his kids, the way he stood in the gap, the way he prayed in that space, the way he stood and said, I wish you would, in that space, that has spread. There's another neighbor on our street who goes and he, he walks his dog every, you know, as you have to walk your dog multiple times a day. And I've, oh, I love this man because he walks his dog. There was a moment where there was like an element that looked like they were trying to come into the neighborhood and he walks his dog and he walks his dog with the spirit of, you come over here if you want to. <laughs> and he walks up the alleys, he goes into the places that nobody else goes. There's a spirit in our neighborhood that says, Look, you come over here if you want to. He's not one of those original people, but I imagine that he also walked into something and he could feel that thing and he understood what was happening in that space. It's contagious. So what is the message for us? The text in Jeremiah is a familiar passage. It's one that we read and I, the Lord knows I have preached on many times. And it's one that can lose its meaning because it's familiar. It is powerful when we understand the assignment. It is powerful when we understand that we are called to go into a space, knowing that we have been called into a space, sent into a space, and tend to that space. The Lord didn't just say, and he could have, he could have just said, Look, 
This is not going to be short-lived. Have children. Have sons and daughters. Marry them off. Let them have sons and daughters and marry them off. He could have ended a period there. I imagine that 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 line, when he talks to them about having sons and daughters and giving them in marriage and finding wives, and then, you know, making sure that the next generation does the same thing. I imagine that the point of that was to say, look, this is going to be long term. Generations, y'all are going to be here. He could have stopped there, but he didn't. He says, plant gardens. He says, build houses. He says, pray for this place. See, that's a whole different thing. That's no longer, I need you to understand that you're going to be here for a while. That is, let me tell you what your assignment is. And it wasn't a new assignment. Throughout the course of this sermon series, if you have heard nothing else, I hope that you understand that our first vocation was to be caretakers. That is who we are. This wasn't a new assignment. What God was saying is, you are going to be here for a while. So while you are here, be who you are. Do what I've called you to do. Do what I made you to do. Take care of this place. Because as it prospers, you will prosper. We may be moving into a building that is over 100 years old. We may not. We may move into a different building. Who knows? But wherever God calls us, the assignment is that we take care of the space that we are, that we know and appreciate the soil that we walk on, and that we live in such a way that somebody somewhere will be able to walk by and say, there's something different about that space. I don't know what it is, but when I drive by, I I feel a little happy looking at that place. I feel something. I told y'all not to do it, but I do. don't look at my house. I'm not going to tell y'all where I live so you, don't, you won't judge me. But, but if ever you have a moment, just drive down Ellis. You'll feel a difference. And then I encourage you on your drive, if it's in the next few weeks and this is still where we're going, to drive around St. Ambrose, the, the building formerly known as St. Ambrose. And pray. Because if that's where God has for us, that feeling you feel, you ought to feel it there. Something will be different about that space. Because the people who are there care well for it. We will be different. And there will be folk who have no idea who we are, what we are doing, how we are living, who will be different because of the good caretaking we do in that space. So I invite you to pray. Pray with me. God, I thank you that you are a God who is unchanging. And I thank you that you are a God who is not wishy-washy when it comes to the assignments you give your children. You have called us into goodness. You have formed us and fashioned us to be a people who care well for your creation. And you have given us your Holy Spirit so that we can do the things you've called us to do. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that 
that this next leg of our journey as a church is one that is so far and above what we could ask, think, or imagine. I thank you that it is so much bigger than anything that we could possibly think we could do in our own strength. I thank you that there are details we can't imagine, that there are ministries we can't even dream of right now. I thank you that there are relationships that will be formed that we just couldn't possibly, even if we were writing with our, uh, the best story with our most creative minds, we couldn't possibly think of, but that you know and you have already prepared in advance for us. And so, God, just keep doing what you are doing in us. Keep forming us into the image of your son. Keep making us one as a body. Keep calling us into better and bigger and newer and more rich and full understandings of your glory and your goodness. And my prayer, God, is that you would help us to not miss it. That we would not resist it. That we would not mistake not knowing for somehow you not moving. That we would not mistake um, (laughs) discomfort for believing that we have somehow strayed outside of your will. God, I am praying that you would help us to stay still before you. And to move only according to your will. I thank you for the men and the women of God who have been so faithful to the, to the calls you've given them. And I thank you for the ways that each and every one of us have been nurtured by that faithfulness. Lord, there are people in this room who have stories of their own Mr. Burrells. Ways that they can think back and say, I know I am this way because this person understood the assignment. And then there are Mr. Burrells that none of us, none of us have ever seen or met but who are responsible for the ways that we are today. I thank you for them. And I ask, oh God, that that would be said of us one day. I thank you for all the people who can say that of us today. But I pray, Lord, maybe selfishly, but that a hundred years from now, there will be someone or someones who will be able to testify to the goodness of God to the very practical ways you have met their needs, to the very practical ways you have formed them. And their testimony will be tied up with our caretaking. Thank you for being a God who ties testimonies to caretaking. We thank you for your faithfulness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.